Hello, this is Big Guy in a Bowtie, and you're listening to I Teach Live with Andy, Stephanie, and Anissa on KSU Al Radio. Hootie hoo! Morning and welcome to the radio show every morning, uh, everybody. <laughs> Andy morning. Boyle joining you here live from the studios at KSU Owl Radio. Can we just admit right now that we are having a little bit of a Monday in here? <laughs> oh, some Lordy. stuff going on. But we're getting better. We're getting better. We are getting better, and that's what counts. So, uh, fantastic. Um, let me say welcome, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining. I am uh, joined in the studio this morning by my guest, as usual, uh, Dr. Anissa Vega. Hello. And Good morning. Mrs. Stephanie Stevens. Mrs. How appropriate. <laughs> well, I feel so old when uh, you say We're mostly Mrs. professional. That's the professional mostly side. We'll, professional. we'll get to the mostly bit later. Good morning, everybody. We're so glad that you're joining us today. And we yes. are really excited for this show. I feel like, uh, you know, third time's the charm. Let's um, hope. We've definitely got a really great lineup of stuff coming at you for the show today. So tune in. Tweet a friend, share it on Facebook. Can you hear um, me? Can you hear me? Yeah, is my mic we working? Can, yeah. Oh my <laughs> goodness. It's got a working mic. Two, we're um, win streak. Yeah, and we've got some really great stuff coming up on the show today, including a great interview with Anthony Kim, um, who's a really great friend of iTeach. We've also got Gadget Time with David Lockhart, big guy in a bow tie. And we're also talking about learner voice today, which is something that I know a lot of teachers are thinking about, talking about. Um, and so we're excited that you're here and you're tuning in. But don't forget to share the love and tag us and tag a friend and be sure to join the conversation on hashtag I teach live on Twitter. We're going to be monitoring that the entire time. Absolutely, everybody. We are on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're at KSU I teach at all of those places. Um, the hashtag I teach live. We're tracking and uh, the phone number for those of you adventurous enough to try to give us a call 470 KSU cool. That's 470 KSU C O O L. I feel like I need Later to... would be a better time to call because first we're waiting yeah. for Anthony Kim to call. Right. In. Don't yeah, call Anthony now should be we're calling in shortly. Yeah. We, we've even learned how to minutes. answer a call off air here recently. So. But have we practiced it? Uh, we did. We okay, being yeah. I, you did. We did practice. practice. But I'm the one at the board, so. Yeah, right. I, I came in and this we worked with, with Nay the Goat here. If those of you uh, our radio listeners know Nay the Goat, Campus Culture. Um, she has walked us through and shown us how to how to master the board here. So we are we're like legit DJs. I love it. Ooh, All right. Yeah. So I want to start off by just refreshing everybody where we left off um, last show. You know, we've started working through our um, you know, principles or our essential conditions rather for personalized learning. And so um, we talked a little bit last time about mastery dispositions and what we that did. looks like. And um, we got a lot of good, you know, feedback and connection from people. I want to encourage you if you're somebody who has more to share in that realm or in the realm of learner voice or any of the essential conditions that you can find in the white paper, um, then please tag us. We want to see resources. We want to see classroom examples. Um, and definitely, if you have not yet downloaded the white paper and want to learn a little bit more about the work that we've 
we've got going on across the state, then you can find that at iteach.kennesaw.edu. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> the phone is ringing. Phone is ringing. Don't, right, don't right, overexcite Come on, Anissa. Come on, Anissa. Um, so anyway, I, th- I think I that you should definitely on. spend some time um, getting okay, that so. downloaded and take Hello. a preview. And as Anissa is going to be answering the phone. I think we're all answering the phone. Oh. Hello. Hello. Oh, we might all be on air. Hello. You've got I Teach Live. Who is this? Please don't say. Thank you for calling Domino's. <laughs> what can I get Maybe you? Maybe it's phone one. Nope, nope. it's not. Nate says. Ooh, that was not it. We apologize. Please don't leave us. <laughs> I know. Hang in there. Don't fail. So can while, they hear us? Yeah. While we are um, waiting on the phones to figure out, I wanted to also share, we've got another word of the day for you guys today. And this is uh, a great word for our show today. It's the word bumfuzzle. Everybody repeat with me. The word is bumfuzzle. B-U-M-F-U-Z-Z-L-E. Yes, it's a real word. This is not a stuff made up word. And it is defined by a simple, it's a simple term that's defined as um, being confused, perplexed, or flustered, or to cause confusion. I am experiencing a bumfuzzle right now with this board and trying to take this call. So weirdly, maybe not weirdly, I like to know the history of words. And so this one one's pretty regional. If you are somebody who uh, grew up along the East Coast or south of the Mason-Dixon line, then your grandparents probably have used this word in their lifetime. But it's one that um, is not necessarily used anymore, but we're bringing it back. So hashtag bumfuzzle. We're going to hope to avoid another bumfuzzle. I teach live. Are you with us? You're on air. got nothing. Is this like a throwback 80s prank call? Are you breathing heavily? I know. It's like scream. Excuse me. Is your refrigerator running? I know. <laughs> oh. Uh-oh. Anthony's all prepped. And I bet he's all prepared. Well, it, that it, is a bad button. Yeah, I'm sorry. That is a bad, bad button. We're not a, we're not 100% that it is Anthony. He's supposed to call it 1010. Maybe if this is yeah, someone else testing our phone. Oh, somebody's calling in. Hello? 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 Oh, no. She was speaking to me. Hello. I don't hear anybody. Are you there? Not working. Can you hear me now? Hello? Oh, hello! Can you hear us? Anthony? Anthony. Yeah, I could barely hear you guys for some reason. Oh, no. Can you hear us now? Better? Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, now it's better, yeah. All right, oh, we turn good. up the mic. Oh, good. Okay. Well, good morning, oh. Anthony. Hey. Thank I wasn't you. sure if you guys what was going on if you guys were live at ten or live at ten fifteen. So yeah, well we are. I didn't live. want to say anything right away. No, yeah, we are live and we are ready for you. So thank you so much for calling in and bearing with our technical difficulties. We are not okay. sound engineers by trade, as shocking as that is. All right, make sure you don't press that button again. Right. <laughs> terrible, terrible that button. Was... He only has one eardrum left. Right. Yeah. Uh, that might be why you're having difficulty hearing us. We can't even actually hear ourselves. So. Oh, cool. Um, Um, Well, awesome. Thank you so much for calling in. So this is Stephanie, and then you've also got Anissa and Andy. Hello, Anthony. What's up? Um, So what time is it where you're calling from? Are you on East Coast right now? No, I'm in San Francisco. It's like 7. Okay, yeah. Early. So that's a real commitment, and I applaud you, sir. (laughs) Because at 7 o'clock this morning, I was still drooling on my pillow. So let's introduce our our listeners to Anthony and his work. Yeah. So Anthony... um, 
is a really awesome human and somebody that I've admired for a while. And Anthony, I'll let you talk a little bit about your, you know, short history slash long history with um, not only at Elements, but really in the entire sphere of educational influence. But I just want to call out for everyone that Anthony's one of those people that if you don't already follow, you need to follow. His team at, at Elements is um, just one of the most devoted teams I think that I've found in in the field and um, people that are really qualifying and quantifying the great work that's happening in schools. So, Anthony, do you want to give us sort of the, the two-minute history of you in a nutshell? Um, yeah, yeah. So, I got involved in education um, back in 2000. Um, probably one of the first things we had thought about was uh, web analytics for LMSs. And uh, through that, I got to learn uh, quite a bit about higher education and uh, online, online and digital K-12 education and decided to focus most of my attention in 2003 in uh, education and K-12 education and um, ended up building all sorts of different products for different um, schools like SIS and assessments and eventually got into curriculum, uh, eventually moved into online schools and I ended up selling that company to Edison Schools in 2008. Uh, by 2010 I, I left and um, worked with uh, Michael Horn on a project uh, where we were able to uh, redesign a elementary school in South Central Los Angeles uh, with what's now known as the um, station rotation model. And while we were doing that, we had the opportunity to, uh, Michael and I also produced a thing called the EdTech Market Map back then, which was uh, funded by a foundation for us to kind of organize all EdTech companies into different categories and kind of uh, map them out as to where where they would be most appropriate for use. And so through that process, we just learned so much about technologies and implementations. Uh, I also was doing another project for a company uh, to evaluate every ELA project product uh, that was digital. And we learned a lot around like the quality of implementation varied so much. And so mm -hmm. when I started Education Elements, we really focused on uh, helping districts uh, implement technology and um, new instructional models better. Uh, in, in the early days, it was really just focused on uh, digital content, but now we've expanded into strategic planning and competency-based education, personalized learning, uh, organizational design. Like we've expanded the types of service we offer because we realized that um, schools struggle with getting a lot of the project management pieces done mm -hmm. um, while they're making you know their best efforts to implement things that will hopefully uh, close that achievement gap we're all looking to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I should uh, be transparent that the first opportunity that I had to work with you and your team was when I was sitting in the district office um, here in Fulton County in Georgia. And it was through the support of Ed Elements that we were able to really start the redesign process across 100 plus schools, which, again, to your point, in um, in any size district is really a difficult task when you have already staffed the positions for other things like there is no staff position for redesign. There is no internal admin yeah. position at a school for redesign. And so it's really difficult to find the capacity in existing organizations. Um, and so we've just been fast friends since. And I love everybody on your team. And I just think that they're some of the greatest folks out there. And so... Um, 
So I really thought it was great when I saw this new book come out because it really spoke a lot to that sort of organizational piece, um, you know, and, and through the white paper that we've worked on here in the state of Georgia, it's really about those systems and those organizations that are either prohibitive or supportive of personalized learning that many times make or break um, the implementation of whatever teachers at the classroom level are trying to do. So. I'd love to just um, kind of dive right in with some of the questions. And if for those of you who are listening, if you've not already checked out, we've been tweeting, but definitely check out um, on a million different places, but probably for most people, Amazon's the fastest way to get to it, um, to check out New School Rules. Um, and Anthony, who remind me who your co-author was on this book. Yeah, um, I mean, just to give you a, a little bit of background on, on her and uh, why we decided to work together on this, um, she, Alexis Gonzalez Black, um, she was a former TFA person, mm-hmm. uh, ended up working at Zappos, uh, and when the CEO decided to make this shift towards more uh, kind of self-organized management styles. Uh, she led that project, mm-hmm. and then when she left Zappos, she started a consulting firm for a little bit before she uh, went to work at IDEO as an org designer there, which is where she's at now. Mm-hmm. And so we met through that process, and um, with anything that whether you know it has to do with the workshops we deliver at school districts or this book, uh, one of the things. You know, I, I really believe in this. I have to try some of this stuff on our own and uh, on my own and learn from those experiences. So she helped us implement some of these practices that we write about in the book, even at our offices and at Elements. And um, we've tested some of these things out at some of the schools before we wrote the book. Yeah, I think that's so, so important. And um, as a leader of a team, you know, I so appreciate that approach. I think it's really easy for us to just say, hey, this is a great idea. Um, you should try this. But but that's sort of what's wrong with organizations at large. Uh, I know, especially in school districts, it's frequently people who have been out of the classroom for a really long time trying to tell teachers <laughs> what they should do inside of classrooms. So anytime we're thinking about um, like organizational shifts or whatever, um, I think it's awesome that you guys have, have done this work in the trenches of your own organization first and in a school before talking about what other people should do. So a hats off for that. So Anthony, yeah, thanks. this is Anissa and yeah. I'm, I'm curious as an educator. Um, so when schools talk with you and ed elements and I, and I have to take you just a little bit to task. Okay. Um, you are not a certified teacher, right? Right. Right. So, so what what perspective do you bring that that adds value to the K twelve environment? Yeah, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of kind of sayings we have in the book, and there's a, you know a few examples that I've used to deflect some of these ideas. So one is, you know, if if we keep doing the same things over and over again, we're going to get the same results. Mm-hmm. And historically, we've seen people uh, do the same things over and over again. And as a result, you can see over the last three decades, we've gotten very similar results. So one one perspective might be, well, maybe someone that is thinking about teaching differently um, can can provide different results. So that's one. Two, two, I think this notion that teaching kids is the same as teaching adults 
I, w- I would I would challenge that a little bit because you know the conditions that we're working in in an adult work environment, which as you know an entrepreneur and founder of multiple companies, like I'm constantly trying to teach adults how to get certain things done around a particular vision. So I think that's very different than teaching somebody algebra or uh, letter recognition. Sure. Um, and, and then the third piece is, you know, and, you know, we joke about this in, in the office, too. It's like uh, not the best coach. The best coaches aren't always the best players, and the best players aren't, don't make always the best coaches. And the same is true with, you know, Michelin star critics. Like not all Michelin star critics are, are chefs. Right. No, thank you. Thank you. Um, when reading your book, so I read it a few weeks ago, I really enjoyed it. Um, what, what would you hope are the, is like the top two or three takeaways that you would want your readers to get in reading this, especially if it was a school principal, mm-hmm. uh, reading this book? What, what do you really hope that, um, that they take away from this? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a story that isn't included in the book that isn't part of the presentations I have around the book, which has to do with, um, uh, so the way I explain it is I, I learned to swim four years ago, and when I was learning how to swim the first time, um, in order to get across the pool, I just expended a lot of energy, and by the time I got halfway to the pool, I was exhausted and couldn't get to the, to the end, which was my goal. And my coach told me that I just needed to streamline my body better. And once I worked on that, uh, I was able to get to the end of the pool multiple times, right? Um, it's, the same is true for teams and organizations where if you consider like everybody on your team a cylinder and an engine that's working incredibly hard, however, if the shape of the team or the shape of the vessel is not worked on, then you're never going to reach all the goals that you want to reach. And so I think whether you're a school team trying to get all your teachers and APs who are all working incredibly hard to kind of be more streamlined and more efficient about getting stuff done, um, or you're a superintendent with you know 15,000 employees uh, doing the same we're all expending a lot of energy, but we're not reaching our goals. And I, I feel like uh, the six practices within the book will help you shape that vessel so that you're more streamlined to getting things done. Uh, in our office, you know, we like I said, we've implemented some of these things. And um, in the past, when we got through in a one-hour meeting with you know ten people, if we could get through two agenda items, that was fantastic. Now we get through ten to fifteen agenda items in one hour. Right. So just from a productivity perspective, I think that that's really interesting. I also want to just call out to our listeners that um, I have seen now in my progression from classroom teacher to district admin to working in higher ed and consulting and providing coaching and services that many times people don't view uh, school districts and schools as organizations, right? Mm. There's this disconnect between every other profession and education in the ways that we sort of view ourselves. And so 
we are organizations. Every school is an organization. Every district is an organization. But we also know every organization's goal is to maintain. That's right. Right. So right. changing right. an organization, especially changing that organization from within is a real challenge. Yep. So that's why we're talking today with Anthony Kim about the new school rules. That's right. Absolutely. Fantastic. So, Anthony, I found uh, this is Andy, by the way. Uh, nice to speak with you this morning. We, we, uh, we really appreciate your time again. Um, I found interesting you talked about um, planning for change instead of perfection in your book. And, um, you know, one of the things you talk about is how a lot of schools were ordering devices um, and they didn't really plan for, uh, you know, the software to run on those devices. I, I personally have had a lot of experience um, with schools and districts uh, uh, rolling out and managing and, and trying to implement one-to-one devices. So, uh, you know, some advice for, for school leaders. How, how do school leaders accurately plan for things like one-to-one initiatives or device rollouts um, and, and still allow for change and flexibility in there? What are, what are some, some tips or some advice for those school leaders planning those things? Yeah. Um, finally, we get to a question that I was given a heads up about. So I'm glad to have gotten this. Um, so first of all, you have to realize, you have to empathize on why people feel like they need to have these like multi-year plans, right? Uh, and part of it has to do with fear and uncertainty. Um, uh, and usually when you have those feelings, you want to control and you get, you get more tight-fisted. So if you're rolling out some, you know, a 10 million, a hundred million, a billion dollar technology plan, you, you want to, because you get pressure from stakeholders, board members, the community, taxpayers, you're, you're trying to show that you know what you're doing. And so this plan represents uh, all of the actions I'm going to take. Unfortunately, uh, it's, I mean, especially nowadays, uh, versus even 10 years ago, the predictability we have year over year is diminishing. You know, um, maybe a few years ago, even 10 years ago, we would say, well, I could predict maybe a, a year out what might happen now. You know, I feel fortunate if I could predict what can happen six months from now in terms of even our own organization. So, and we're certainly, um, maybe the size of a, a school where a district is, you know, tens of thousands of employees. How do you predict where everyone's going to be, what they should be doing, what priorities come into place? You know, how many snow days you're going to have that might screw up your plan yeah. and your right. schedule. So there's a lot of factors. And so we expend um, tons of hours, months, years kind of developing this plan. Um, and that, that's an example of wasted energy. Um, and the way I would describe it is uh, just going back to some of the concepts that you guys have talked about earlier. You know, if you're if you're a coach, you draw up a play, and uh, you know I'm a fan of basketball, so you kind of come up with these plays, and that might take a you know a couple hours or a day or so. Um, the team actually practices those plays over and over again for weeks. Um, until they get the play uh, built into their muscle memory, where they don't have to think about the play. They know where their teammates are going to be. Um, but you don't, when you execute the play, it only takes seconds. Like It happens as a glimpse of a game. Um, and so one of the things that 
I try to do when we thought about some of these practices is, you know, once I came up with these plays, uh, we practiced in our office first, and then we practiced with some of our the districts that we work with. And so I feel like our folks have a lot of fluency around this, and I could anticipate where they're going to be and what they're going to what moves they're going to make. But then we have to contextualize it into, you know, something like this radio podcast or something like um, a new client that we work with, where like it happens in real time, and that's. That's kind of the mentality that we use in, in planning. Like there's some kind of protocols and pro- procedures that you're going to follow. And there's also a logic around where your teammates are going to be and what they're going to be working on. And there's a lot of trust around that. And then when you get to executing, uh, it makes it so much easier. Yeah. Right. I really, I, I thought it was really profound when you mentioned that people overcommit to the plan so much that they can't see the goal anymore in the book. And that whole idea, again, how many times have we just sat around and, and participated yeah. in defining smart goals and strategic plans? And then you can recite the language of the plan, but you can't then indicate what the goal is for the plan to begin with. You've lost sight of all of that. So I think that that's, that's probably the biggest takeaway I took from the book and just from talking about it um, is we've got to stop doing that. We've got to break that cycle. We need in a schools. level of flexibility in and our districts. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. And yeah. sometimes I think, um, you know, that organ that your insights around the organizational planning piece on the book are really just spot on, in my opinion. And I think, again, in these traditional systems that we have, we're too committed to that plan to morph and adjust to meet goals that we might have that we didn't, again, have the foresight on because we can't. It's a moving target. All of us are after moving targets. And so can you talk a little bit about what a very traditional organization, maybe one that's not even thinking about personalized learning, is not thinking about school redesign yet, but just somebody who maybe hears this and thinks, okay, well, maybe I can take a step towards a more iterative planning and design process. What's one first step that you might suggest for them? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I was just working with uh, a district a couple weeks ago in Pennsylvania and tried to help them through something like this. And and probably, uh, I guess what I should mention is on our website, thenewschoolrules.com, there's a lot of things called workouts and experiments. Uh, So in our book, you'll notice that we had practices, six practices, there's 15 experiments that we list out there, and those are things that you could try right away. And then the workouts are things that are more like a sustained muscle memory building things that are on our website. Um, but so one of the workouts that I did do with this district around this was uh, helping them think through a particular bit, reasonably large decision. And it's, um, in fact, like making clear what your decision is is really important in this step. Uh, so a simple one would be, you know, one might say, well, my decision is to complete college in four years. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that's a goal that you're going to set for yourself. And um, there's all these other decisions you're going to make uh, along with that. Uh, on the other hand, I could, I could kind of tweak the, the, uh, the goal as, I'm going to prioritize going through college. That's the number one thing uh, in my life for, for now. And, and those kind of, the goals framed differently in those two ways makes a really big difference as to how you think about 
moving forward because when I say I'm going to complete college in, in four years, uh, that might change my behaviors. It's just like, I'm just going to coast through. I'm going to do it as fast as possible, regardless of all these other things that I might be interested in. So it changes kind of the dynamic. And if I don't complete it in four years, I feel like a complete failure because that was the goal I had. Mm -hmm. I could also say, you know, I'm going to prioritize this and I might complete it in four years. I might complete it in five. It could be longer, but I'm making decisions along the way. And in, in many ways, setting up your goals that way allow you to kind of continuously learn and evolve and also make decisions that might be different for you and right for you at that time. There's, there's different outcomes and, and, and points of view on these, so you have to be, absolutely, I'm not saying there's one that's better or the other, it's just how you set the goal determines all of the decisions that you need to make. And then we went through this process around, okay, let's list 10 decisions you have to make along those goals. Uh, you have to separate them out into kind of three categories. One is, uh, the first one is, what do you absolutely know? So there's certain things that you will absolutely know, and usually out of 10, maybe one or two people really know. And you've all been in meetings where um, we're talking about hypotheticals, and so someone could just, like, pull us down a rabbit hole because they're saying, well, what if this happens? And no one ever asked, like, how often does that happen? Is that backed up with data? Is that just your opinion, or is it something that's been consistently happening? So we, may, we go through and go down this rabbit hole regardless. Um, so being clear on what you know and what data you have and making decisions on those first is one step. The second category would be we believe something like that will happen and it consistently does. So in, in the case with the district in Pennsylvania, they said, well, you know, there's we consistently get only 50% participation in our PDs. And so, okay, well, that's... That's a fact, you know, I mean, there's some history around it, there's some data, so it just becomes a little bit more known than someone saying, well, what, if, what happens if only 50% comes in? That's mm -hmm. just one person's opinion. And then finally, the last things you could table are the things that aren't backed with any sort of data, and usually what we found, or what I found, is either you ask the person who raises that to go get more data on this so that we can actually make an informed decision. Or if you leave it on the agenda long enough, it just goes away because it becomes irrelevant. Right, right. I think it's so funny. I mean, I just, that's so foreign to many of the meetings that, that we sit in, like, where's the data? You just sort of take people at face value, and I think it would totally change a lot of conversations and a lot of the direction. Absolutely, yeah. You're listening to I Teach Live on KSU Owl Radio with Andy, Stephanie, and Anissa, and we're talking with Anthony Kim, author of The New School Rules. Anthony, we have a question for you. Um, another one. You talk about building trust and allowing authority to spread in your new book. Um, yep. Can you offer us some strategies to move this idea forward in a building or a district that has a reluctant leader? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, First of all, none, all, all of this stuff isn't these point solutions, right? It, mm -hmm, it's right. a system of practice. Um, and so there, there, there's a couple of things. One, you have to realize that habits are really hard to break. Uh, and so in order to break habits in people, you, you need certain things in place. Um, 
one, there's kind of two things that I would say are most critical. One is you have to have a daily practice, uh, something small enough where someone can try. So one thing that we do is we, for every meeting, there's what we call a check-in and check-out. And all that is is no different than kids walking into your classroom and you saying hello to every kid and just getting a feel for where they're at. Same thing in meetings. We just usually walk in and we're all on our phones. We don't know why we're there. It's on our calendar. There's an agenda. And we just jump right into the meeting. And the same thing, we leave the meeting and go on to the next without like having a conversation with people. And so um, the way you kind of implement some of this stuff is around building that trust and that relationship and just saying hello to everybody and giving an opportunity for everyone to check in at the beginning of a meeting. It doesn't have to be long. We're not asking for even a minute. We're just asking for like 15 seconds each mm -hmm. to say, I'm present. This is how I'm feeling right now. And it's incredible that when I start a meeting like that, it's gives me so much data about how people might react to something and it helps me understand like if I bring up something that might bother them, how they might react, I could anticipate a little bit how to present that information. Uh, and then at the checkout, uh, it gives me a good sense of like people that may have not spoken too much in the meeting if I need to follow up with her. And, with them. So um, it's an incredible piece of data that as a kind of the meeting organizer you get in order to kind of move your, your uh, agenda forward. I'm, my leader actually, Tracy Reddish in the Department of Instructional Technology starts every meeting with celebration and sharing. A way to just check in with everyone and see mm -hmm. kind of she gets uh, I think a temperature mm -hmm. of the room from that yeah. and how everyone is doing. Yeah. And, and I, um, I think too, just honoring that people, you know, we talk, we're talking later in the show about learner voice, right? Mm -hmm. But oftentimes we skip over, um, you know, the leader, the teacher, the team. It's not just the learner. It's not just the student that needs to have a voice in situations. We don't just come to a meeting to sponge up whatever people are delivering mm -hmm. it. It needs to be a little bit more collegial, mm -hmm. a little bit more all in from everybody. So I just think that's a great tip for everyone. A great way to start it off on a conversational footnote. And I also, I mean, we how long have we done tickets out the door as teachers, right? Where we <laughs> sort yeah. of formatively assess, but we don't, I don't know why it should be, but it is so groundbreaking to think about doing that in a meeting with peers. So I just think that that's um, just really great. Um, another favorite tweetable that I have from the book, and this is one of the things that I think I highlighted as I passed my book <laughs> to someone else to preview, um, it was highlighted, dog-eared, oh. multiple times underlined, was yeah. this idea of, is it safe enough to try? And it's something that I've taken into my own practice and my own team and my own leadership style, literally from the moment that I opened the book. Um, just asking ourselves as we encounter something that maybe we have a little bit of cognitive dissonance with, maybe we're struggling a little bit with a decision to do something different from the way that we've always done it. If we just stop and ask, is this safe enough to try? Um, what would it look like if the answer to that question was yes, if we just did it, if schools did it, if our teams did it? Um, Anthony, can you share an example of maybe a, a success when this has happened or maybe a school or a district where you think they are saying yes to that question? Is this safe enough to try and they're doing a great job at it? Yeah, it's, um, well, first of all, it, it's, it's a very tricky line 
Um, yeah. So instead of where people have been talking about, well, we have to fail forward, um, I, I think I like safe enough to try better because I never want to say, like, I'm anticipating failure. Even when I'm learning something, I don't necessarily try to anticipate my failures, but I, I know that I'm not going to get everything right each time. Mm-hmm. And, and that feels very different for me. So this is our version of kind of fail, that mantra of failing forward. Um, I, I think it, it's better in some ways, and we talk about it in the book, is uh, often when someone comes to that meeting and proposes an idea, uh, the other nine people in the meeting, they feel like it's their obligation to shut it down. Right, so I come up with this idea, and it's like everybody says, "Well, you didn't think about this and all this stuff," and they're not trying to be negative about it, but and they feel like they honestly feel like they're trying to be helpful, mm-hmm. but they are giving you ten reasons why we shouldn't do anything different than what we have, and make, making it upon you to go figure out and convince them why the organization should do it, and. Are you there? Cut out. Do we still have you, Anthony? Did we lose him? His phone might. Uh oh. You know those cell networks in Frisco. <laughs> Anthony, we lost you. If you can hear go, us, go back to the other room in your house. I think. Oh, there you are. The the first thing is it just shifts the the behavior of the person proposing an idea to defending it to all of the traditional naysayers defending why we shouldn't move forward with it because when you say, well, isn't it safe enough to try? It's up to the person that's may uh, saying it to defend, say, show with some evidence that it's not safe enough, that it'll do harm to the organization. And it turns out there's very few things that necessarily could harm an organization. Um, and so an example of this might be uh, really even like something like any, any district trying to adopt a chapter in this book, some people might say, well, you know, what, well, it's not proven. Where's the research behind this? Where's yada, 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 right? I mean, we hear all of that all the time. Absolutely. Give me an example of a similar district like ours with the exact same demographics of people. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. Okay. Right. Give us the, you know, the Stanford research on this. I mean, we hear all of those things and, and, in fact, like those things don't matter. There's practices that you could just start trying to learn and experience the change on your own. And you're not learning by hearing other people's story in their context and then thinking like you're going to implement it just the way they did. Yeah, and right. I, that is such a, a crippling factor, I think, in so much of what I know your team at Ad Elements um, encounters, and certainly our team of I teach coaches. You know, they want to see in their classroom with their students on a Friday after a field trip before a break, yeah. <laughs> the most successful <laughs> implementation. Um, and, and with them as the skill set and the, the leader, right, as the teacher. So it's really hard yeah. for us as coaches where we do go in and sit in that space with those kids in those environments because it's us, not them. And so the, all of that struggle is a lot of really easy, let me throw my hands up and just say I can't because it's not me and it's not my exact 
situation yeah. where where I think you know it's something certainly for my team um, that I'm encouraging people to just ask is it safe enough to try are we gonna you know it's sort yeah. of like the medical profession are we gonna do no harm if we can agree that we're yeah. gonna do no harm can we move it forward um, I just think it's such a powerful question and you know again a lot of people cite Carol Dweck's work around yeah. growth mindset and I don't think that this is in contention with that but I think it's maybe a more mature version of that conversation rather than the idea of let's just fail a bunch of times because nobody likes that yeah. feeling right <laughs> nobody yeah. wants to right. that has fiscal um, consequences yeah right. implications sure yeah. absolutely so Anthony this yeah. is Andy again hey and, and as we start to, to wrap up on time here I want to leave our listeners maybe with one final question and we know that there's a lot of schools that are doing a lot of good out there and that there are things that are working can you can you share with our listeners um, some of the good things that you or your team come across that schools are doing and uh, if there's somebody out there listening who's looking for like a first step what are what are some maybe some easy first steps that you've seen uh, that your team has seen that that work or that have worked yeah so there's first I, I think there's an organizational system in the book around uh, what I call atoms and molecules. So, so atoms are things that you could do on your own without requiring other people to be engaged. Uh, so, you know, a simple thing is like I could start every meeting with a check-in now. Like, I, everyone doesn't need to approve that, right? And be on the same page. I just run my meetings that way. But if I want to change the way uh, roles are set up, right, which we talk about in the book. Um, Someone, like, there needs to be a broader agreement, and so that's where, like, kind of the notion of molecules come in. So in in some of the districts that we're working with, they are um, starting to test out this idea that uh, not all projects are given to the person with the title uh, in their job, in, in their job description, right? So there is some value in starting off new projects re- starting each project with a new team, just like uh, the way I describe it is uh, like a Hollywood model of building teams. If you think about like uh, some of the biggest movies out there that are hundreds of millions of dollars, they form teams right away and then they execute on the movie and then they go away and a new team gets started for the next movie. And it's never always the same people that are on these teams. And if you think about how incredible that is for the amount of, complexity, whether, you know, getting a producer, casting directors, stagehands, lighting directors, site, uh, scenery people, like there's so many different moving parts to a movie, yet they're able to come together, execute really well, and then go away and then come back to another project. And I, I imagine that kind of the future of organizations looks something like that, where we can, people can come together for projects, regardless of what they're kind of job titles are, get stuff done and then move on to the next project and it's not things just getting piled on top of you because you hold a particular title. Yeah. That's right. It seems to make so much sense, doesn't it? As people have different expertise as well, as you, mm-hmm. you pull in different people with different experiences and different expertise to execute different projects. I mean, that, that to me makes a lot of sense. That's like employee voice versus right. student right. voice, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing you have to remember is like, you know, none of not everybody has this equal amount of time every day, right? And so sometimes someone might have free time to work on something and also willingness and, 
and we assume that you know just because you have a particular title that you deserve that you deserve that kind of territory. That that's kind of like the the feudal system, right? Just because I own this land, I own every decision in there. Yeah, right. And that's something that I think plagues a lot of organizations inside and outside of education, where your title defines your. Um, you know, people say all the time, "Well, I'm going to stay in my lane." Well, why do you yeah. have a lane? Why right. are we not just yeah. all right. the same? Right. <laughs> you that's know? not in my job description. Right. Right. Yeah. And people, you know, make jokes all the time about other duties and responsibilities as assigned. Right. Well, we, I mean, certainly for I teach, we just don't have time for that. Right. There's too much work to do, and there's too yeah. great an influence of the collective of all of the people's experience that we have on the team. And I know the same is true for Ed Elements. When someone needs something accomplished, it is by no means one person's responsibility to do so. And I'm looking across the booth here at Andy, who's sort of the, um, you know, and David Lockhart's in the studio also are two people that we have on the team that we call the jack of all trades. <laughs> and uh-huh. sort of, um, you know, they're just like a living embodiment of a toolbox for when we have weird requests roll in or when we have projects come up um, because their time is not dependent as most of my team is being one-on-one in the school. And so I think there's just some really interesting implications about not just the title that people hold, but also their time. We talk a lot about that with teachers and how much time they have and how much they want more time to be able to do and explore other things that they might be passionate about or great at. Um, So again, I think that's something that it just seems again like such a light bulb moment why haven't we been doing this so that's the question i want to leave you with anthony if you could kind of charge everyone to action it seems crazy that it's taking you know the new school rules and this book and this conversation to to spurn change in some of these organizations and not change for change sake but to be better agile and more improved and more effective organizations what's sort of the call to arms that you would issue to people who are exploring or wondering why they should plug into the book why they should plug into this work yeah um you know the i think the quote that sticks out for me in the book is the tom tom uh, northrop quote which is every organization is perfectly designed to get the results they're currently getting and if you want different results you have to do things differently and I, i certainly believe that most educators that we work with and many educators across the country are wanting better results, uh, not only in student outcomes, but they just want to have better day-to-day work experiences, which they're not getting. And I I do believe that implementing these practices and becoming more agile and responsive to not only student needs through personalized learning, but also uh, being responsive to things that are changing within your school, as well as yourself as individuals as we grow and evolve, it's going to uh, reinvigorate the profession quite a bit. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, Anthony, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you for um, being our first go at a live call-in interview. Um, oh, that's the first time? Oh, wow. First cool. time. Yeah, yeah, you are the first, um, which if anybody knows you, knows that that's perfect for you and your personality, that you would be the first to go <laughs> to do something yeah. um, and figure it safe out. Safe enough to try, that's I guess. Right. right. We figured it was safe enough to try, especially with you, who we knew we weren't going to, you know, yeah. <laughs> have somebody scary on the phone. So, 
So we really appreciate you. And I just, uh, again, I think that you're an awesome individual. You lead an awesome team. And we just so respect the work that you all are doing. Really love the book. You guys need to go check it out. Order it today. The New School Rules. Um, it's got really great tips for everybody. Um, even teachers who say this is above my pay grade. No, it's not. Your classroom is an organization. So you can absolutely, definitely use some of the, the same things that um, strategies and, and suggestions in the book that anybody else could use. So, Anthony, thank you so much. Much. We appreciate you calling in. You have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony. All right. Thanks, guys. Nice talking. All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers. So All right. We so survived I, it. I think we have transitioned back to the radio. We did it. Holy Success. cow. I am, I've been sweating. <laughs> I, I have a river runs through it down my back, like between my shoulder blades. <laughs> I feel like I have a stream of sweat. Well, I'm anticipating TMI. a phone call from Star 94 any minute. We're <laughs> going to be recruiting a new morning team. Um, we're, we're booked, Star 94. Oh, my That's, gosh. We're not looking. Listen. We are not. It was safe enough to try, not. and we did it, and we survived it. Um, and honestly, I think that was a really informative and important conversation to have. And I think anytime we find... I'm hoping that what this radio show can do and the podcast can do is that when we find people to plug in with or ideas or books or or any strategies or tools that will help people accomplish the goals that they're after, then we've got to be the ones to bring that to them, Absolutely. right? Like that's our, our that's role the as a conduit here. That's is the to, mission. Right. Provide those opportunities for people to hear more, learn more, and be able to do more. Absolutely. So. Pushing personalized learning forward. That's Fantastic. right. Fantastic. That's right. Um, Excellent. Okay, so real quick, we are going to transition um, to the next segment. And we're going to be talking about SAMR for a few minutes uh, in a new segment called Focusing on Frameworks. Uh, but before we do, we're going to listen to a quick word from our friends at Bird Brain Technologies. You're listening to I Teach Live with Andy, Stephanie, and Anissa. We'll be right back. Robots in English class? With the Hummingbird Robotics Kit and Finch Robot, you can experience true interdisciplinary learning with robotics and coding in any content area. Our Finch Robot is a tool to teach computer programming from kindergarten to college. And our Hummingbird Robotics Kit is the guts of the robot that you can embed into any sorts of arts and crafts project. You do the programming to bring them to life. Interested in diving deeper with these robots? Then join us in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania from July 23rd through the 25th at the Catalyze Learning Summer Institute. Design, build, and program robots in hands-on workshops guided by our experienced K-12 educators and develop a curriculum integration plan for your 2018-2019 school year. Register today at birdbraintechnologies.com. And welcome back to the show. You're listening to I Teach Live with Andy, Stephanie, and Anissa. And for our next bit this morning, we're going to do a new segment that we're calling Focusing on Frameworks. And um, it's something that I've been uh, out playing around with. I've been collecting videos for a, a partner system um, and helping work with teachers on technology integration. And so we want to talk today a little bit about the framework SAMR. Um, so I'm going to assume that... Yeah, S A M R, Samr, Samir, sometimes. Which is different than A S M R, which is that really creepy stuff when people talk really light into the microphone. I, 
I actually like those videos. I do too. This is not that, but you should definitely yes. Google that sometime and just get your ASMR. Right. Yes. ASMR. Yes. This is SAMR. Right. Tell me about your sweaty. Okay, stop it. Dryer. Mostly no. professional, Andy. Mostly, yes. Mostly I had that. Um, okay. So, All right. Yeah. So, so Samer. Yeah. And here's the cool thing. And I want to just call this out too. We're not starting with Samer because we think it's the, you know, best one out there. There's no preferential treatment here. We're starting with Samer because for whatever reason here in the last six months or so, this is the framework for technology integration that many people in schools and districts that we are supporting are talking about. Um, and so we will spend time on other frameworks moving forward, but we're just going to start here. So please, again, don't forget that you can tweet us, join the conversation using the hashtag I teach live. You can also call in. We now know how to do that mostly. Yes. Um, so <laughs> call us at, is it 478? 470. 470. KSU cool. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess we kind of know how to work the phone. Yeah. Now. It's not a total bum fuzzle. Point so, for me. Word of the day. Puzzle, word of the day. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. All right, so let's talk SAMR. First of all, I want to give you a short background on SAMR. Where did it come from? What does it stand for? What does it mean? So SAMR, the model of SAMR, was developed by Dr. Ruben Puentadura, um, and it's basically this acronym for the levels at which technology um, is integrated within instruction. And so you start off with the S of SAMR, which is substitution, and this is where tech acts as like a direct tool substitute where there's no functional change in what you're doing with the with the learning experience, but you're using technology as sort of a one for one um, substitution for what you could do. Um, the A of SAMR is augmentation. And so this is again where the tech acts as that direct tool to substitute an action that you could do without the tech, but there is some functional improvement or functional change in the learning experience. Um, then M of SAMR is modification. And this is where the technology is actually enabling significant task redesign. So it's something that you could not do without the technology as a component of that learning experience. And then sort of the, the pie in the sky, um, the highest level of tech integration, as this model calls it, would be redefinition, the R, which is where tech allows for the creation of new tasks that were previously inconceivable. This is high level integration, but it's also really higher order pedagogy. It's something where all of this perfect storm is created to create an opportunity um, and a learning experience for students that would otherwise otherwise be unimaginable right. with the current level of of non tech or low tech that you've got. So that's the SAMR. I want to also just start off by saying that I think whenever we talk about frameworks, people think, oh, I should be at transformation. I should be at redefinition all the time. I should be at the highest level of tech integration to be, quote, effective or good at tech integration. And let me just tell you, there is no part of any of these models that should be vilified. <laughs> there is nothing innately. There's a time and place. That's for right. every piece. And yeah. there's nothing innately more valuable about being at redefinition than there is about substitution if... The alignment to curriculum, the alignment to expected outcome is high. Um, I also just want to say that personalized learning does not co-require redefinition all the time. There are a lot of things about personalized learning that are no tech, low tech, some tech, high tech, redefinition of tech. So I just want to sort of demystify the idea of a model. The models are there to help us um, in reflective practice and growth and to understand that there's a continuum. But really, I just want to talk a little bit about this specific model and maybe some good that we can see at each of these levels. What's something that we don't need to vilify? 
Well, so typically when I've seen this model in use, it's typically when a school is trying to decide if a technology that they've purchased mm-hmm. is being adopted and it's bringing some sort of value back to the school. Okay, I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can't say enough, Stephanie. I was just, I spent the last couple of weeks, um, again, down in a district south of Atlanta, um, recording, capturing videos uh, for the county so that they can use those videos to go back and help train teachers and so that they can recognize different levels of technology integration. And let me just say that lesson design is so important. I witnessed um, a lot of of what is uh, in the enhancement stages of SAMR, the substitution and augmentation, the lower levels of integration. I I, I witnessed lots of lessons that were beautifully designed so that students uh, were up moving about um, the components of the lessons were personalized to the students in the classroom. And even though there wasn't a ton of technology integration in the lesson, the lesson was personalized and the students were engaged and they were learning and they were excited about what they were doing. Um, and I, I can't stress enough that that design, I think, um, wholly outweighs a simple check mark as to whether or not you're integrating a, a piece of technology at a certain level level on a framework. But um, yeah, and I do think you know to Anissa's point too, though, there's got to be you know, and we talked to Anthony about this. There's a, a ton of dollar associated with the technology adoptions and deployments in schools and districts, and so they do need to have that proof of ROI, that return on investment, and. So so it's a good way to just analyze what the tech is doing. Absolutely. Um, just like any other tool, you hire it to do a job, right? And that's different from some of the other frameworks like Lodi. That's right. Or, or TPAC, T- where it is more pedagogical. Well, yeah. you're talking about how the teacher is planning and incorporating tools. That's and you're, right. you're often evaluating the teacher, him or herself, mm-hmm. right? Whereas this is really about evaluating a particular tool. I love that. And sort of separating the um, the educator from the tool itself and what it can allow for. Sure. So if your district has purchased um, an, an LMS, a learning management system, and they've put that into play mm-hmm. and teachers are mostly just using that as a new grade book. That's right. That would be a substitution. That's right. Right. But there are ways that you could potentially use an LMS to be very um, redefining of Absolutely. what you okay. could potentially do. And Absolutely. so, again, I think it's part of that reflective process of here's where we are right now with the technology tool. Here's what it's currently doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Here's the capability that exists. So how do we move along that continuum? Right. I think it's important with SAMR, too, because it doesn't. It, uh, SAMR always left a, a, an open door for me because it, it doesn't necessarily in its um, in its definition define who's doing the work. So are we talking about how the teachers are using the technology or how the students are using technology? And I think a lot of teachers get scared when they think about using technology, but but it's easy for me to put a lot of the onus on the students. And But I don't think that this model actually dives into that. The role. Into I agree. The, yeah. It, yeah, that's why I say it the leaves that door, door open yeah. for me. So sure. is it is it what the teacher's doing or is it what the students are doing? I think there are two different angles right. or to look at Sarah. is it neither of those and just, like Anissa is saying, just the tech. Right. You know, and so then, it, then at that point, it's just like collecting any other user data, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> of right. any uh, adaptive software that you have as a district or whatever else. And so, um, 
So, yeah, that's Samer in a nutshell. And, you know, a couple of people just uh, tweeting, you know, about Anthony or not Anthony. Now I've got my A's mixed up like you did. I and did earlier <laughs> Andy coming out to school. Um, and I, I just think that whatever you're doing in your district in regards to technology or uh, redefinition of learning, personalized learning, blended learning, you don't have to marry to one model. I think that's another thing that people get a little tripped up on. They think that they've got to just associate with either SAMR or Lodi or TPAC or something. Um, use them all. They they all, to me, have a different role to play. They shine a light on a that's different right. aspect of the innovation that's taking place. That's right. And um, well, if we learn anything from Anthony, you know, maybe depending on the project, yeah. which framework do we need? We, we can use we can pull some in for some projects and right. put them away for others. So That's we right. can, you know, defining the goal and um, and and how we measure success can certainly um, help us pick which framework uh, will right. help us define success. So if you guys have a uh, framework that you want us to cover next, tag us on Twitter, mm-hmm. hashtag I teach live and um, let us know what framework your school or district is using or one that maybe you're having to explore in your grad school work or uh, maybe you're a um, doc student doing some dissertation work and you're trying to explore the connection between one of these frameworks to something you're seeing in schools. We'd love to hear from you. I think that if we can demystify some of these frameworks for people, that it'll be a really great, useful tool. Yeah, and it would be great to have you on as a phoned-in guest to talk with us about that model. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. All right, so we are going to move into what is really um, another chunk of meat and potatoes on our radio show, which is this talk about essential conditions. Mm -hmm. And so, um, as I said earlier in the show, last time we talked essential conditions, we spoke about mastery dispositions. This week, or this month, I guess, we're going to be talking about learner voice. And Um, how timely is that, given the marches that took place over this past weekend? Absolutely. It's, It's as if we planned it. It's really as if we knew this was happening. (laughs) Y'all are making us look like we're geniuses. (laughs) How dare you say say we're not. Um, So if you, again, have found the white paper or if you're looking to find the collection of all of these essential conditions and sort of follow along with us as we deep dive into one at a time, you can find that at iteach.kennesaw.edu. The white paper is linked right there. You can also find it at uh, Bagwell dot kennesaw.edu and there is a slash personalized learning page that that all lives on there's also a great video where you get to see anissa and i Uh, maybe you decide we have faces for radio and that would be rude and a comment that you should keep to yourself however we wouldn't blame you for saying that either (laughs) but we've got some really great video content there that helps to to, um just break apart whatever um it helps to break apart the white paper for you too so um again we're going to deep dive here into learner voice and as we start i think it's important for us to just read out what we sort of define as learner voice Absolutely. in the um, the white paper. Yeah. So all the listeners know exactly what it is we're talking about. That's right. Um, so as we define it in personalized learning, learner voice is integral in planning the path and pace of competency mastery. Learners are not only encouraged, but required to voice their needs, preferences, and interests to plan and drive their education. Explicit training of learners to use their voice in the co-planning and conferencing process may be necessary. 
necessary. Um, so Stephanie, yeah. is, does, does that mean that this is not just students stand up in front of the classroom and give a report with their voice? Right. No, this is not an audio lingual <laughs> standard. This is really about voice as it pertains to value. And student agency. And student agency. And yeah. and I, I've found some supporting research out of the UK that uh, there's a future lab, National Foundation for Educational Research, um, and they've got some really great research. Uh, Rudd et al. did some stuff around aspects of learner voice. And mm-hmm. so I think that it does sort of complement and add a layer to what we define learner voice as. So it's not just voice, which is about considering perspectives and ideas of the learners, right? That value. But it's also about democracy, learner democracy, and embodying the, mo- the notion that the experience of learning should be one where all voices are equally important, which is something that I think we are really far away from. Um, in our educational system in this country. Uh, learner advocacy is also a part of that. And that means offering the appropriate activities that help learners say what they want, obtain their rights, represent their interests. I think we're seeing that in the news right now. Um, and learner autonomy, which is where it requires the learner's full involvement as a co-planner and a co-author of that learning experience. So there are multiple facets of learner voice, but all of them hinge on this idea of value. We've got to be able to qualify that they're of value right. before any of these other levels are unlocked, so to speak. Absolutely. I think it's read- important to note, too, I'm going to interrupt real quick, that, that intertwined in all this is executive function. I know that yeah. I don't want to go into executive function at all, but that we're is, saving that for when we actually have listeners. That right. Is, <laughs> that I think that's one of the the big Ouch. things that separates kind of of uh, the vision that that you guys have put together with a lot of the models that are out there right now, that missing link mm-hmm. in that for students to be able to have that autonomy, they've got to have those executive function skills. Um that go along with that. So that's right. Um, I just had to throw that in real quick. So, so I've seen some discussion about learner voice that takes it from um, the classroom level to the school level. So students engaging in um, decision making associated with the school. Maybe that was the cafeteria and lunch planning, or students participated in. Um, the student government organization expanded their services and efforts to the community members in in the school and outside that students aren't only affecting the curriculum and what they're learning in terms of formalized path and pace but also that that hidden curriculum those other pieces of um, their schooling experience and how their voice is heard in those places Yep, exactly. And I think that's really important to um, dive a little bit deeper into. I think that we assume sometimes that learner voice is isolated to the academic voice, the Mm -hmm. one that would be focused on content standards, path and pace. But really, it's about all the business of a school, right? Organizationally, what's the master schedule look like? Do you allow for input from your learners in your building when you build that master schedule or do you just do what you've always done? Meal times, extracurriculars, are they really extra? You know, all of those things. I heard one principal, well, I didn't hear, but I read online. Mm-hmm. And this is an example that may not work for every school, but right. where there was a student panel who would actually hear um, potential employees. Yeah. You know, potential oh, teachers yeah. who are in the school interviewing, they would also get to stop, talk with a um, student panel. Wow. That's very interesting. So, and, and on this note, real quick, I shared with our team a video, um, a YouTube video I found this week on a, on a school called Tallgrass Sudbury School. Um, you guys can Google that and look at it. And they actually 
are doing this right now. The students are involved in every decision-making process at the school, mm -hmm. um, everything from curriculum to the lunch menu. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a quick little video. You can learn more about it from that school if, uh, if it's something that... Well, and isn't it interesting, too, you know, we think about this whole idea of learner voice and... Um, we have all these school governance councils. There's so much local school autonomy now in many of the bigger districts. They've pushed that back. We've got parents and community members sitting on a on a team of people who are ratifying and rationalizing decisions made at the school, yet students are not still a part of that. The, the structure is there. The mechanism is there. Why is it that we don't then pull in all stakeholders? Why right. do we leave out the learner? I think it's just well, kind of weird. In the school's defense, it's been, you know, hours in, in the classroom working yeah. on the curriculum. And so sometimes we have to maybe change our perspective that um, there is value in learning. It's not that we didn't value the student voice, but we didn't value the experience as a learning experience. That's right. That's a really good point, because I do think you have to have that mastery um, mindset around mm -hmm what learner voice could be to qualify their experiences and contributions as a part of the learning, um, that they can provide evidence of mastery of multiple content standards and concepts through these experiences that we would give them to, to authorize their voice. Um, I just think about how many social studies standards or language arts standards would they would meet by sitting into a school governance meeting and being able to then debrief their peers and come back to the class and talk about what they participated in. And debate their position. That's right. How they want to uh, persuade their audience. Yeah, absolutely. Really absolutely. good stuff. So uh, one thing I'm curious about, let's kind of talk about what, uh, what does learner voice look like now in a traditional classroom versus... So I have seen it already uh, in classrooms, especially those classrooms that are implementing project-based learning. Okay, I can okay. see that for project -based sure. Project-based learning is a great example and it's a great starting point for teachers who mm -hmm. are already doing rich curriculum but want to start incorporating more student voice and by doing a gold standard if we want to use buck institute's terminology right um, a gold standard project um, where learner voice they're talking about maybe the the direction they're going to go with the project or how they're going to approach the topic or the problem at hand mm -hmm. um and and you can see a lot of student voice in project-based learning i think you know and again this is a, a version of pbl sometimes and sometimes not but i think when we're talking about maker-based education this is exactly where you would find the same thing where you're talking through a design process and and iterative um mastery where kids are picking an idea formulating a prototype you know, failing at it, building it again, and not maybe just a physical prototype, but something even in a piece of writing. You know, I think that we're starting to see all the preconditions and the things that are really supportive of learner voice start to crop up more and more in schools. Um, I just think that this is something that requires and really deserves so much intentionality. And right now, I think still we're seeing it by accident, by wow. chance. Right. Yeah. And in isolated instructional instances rather than as a culture in the classroom or yep. a culture in the school. So true. Right. And again, and I, and I think, uh, you know, to stress, this is something that I think a lot of times as a, you know, as a high school teacher, I would think that elementary kids maybe wouldn't excel or be able to do this. But I think it's important that that elementary kids um, at, at all levels that they have this because they're not going to be good at it when I, they get to high school if they haven't had any experience right. directing. I, I've got to tell you, though, that my 
young younger two who are in Montessori education, right? Um, they plan their own field trips, mm-hmm. right? The students plan them. They uh, make the budget. They decide where they're going. They um, arrange rides. They contact parents to be the rides. Like they they coordinate the whole thing. And there's no reason why that can't happen in yeah. In, in no, I agree. I'm saying it has to happen yeah. in order yeah, yeah, for them. Yeah. By I the agree. time they get to me in the ninth grade, they've got to have if experience. They've not done it before. It's hard to hold them accountable for something yeah. we haven't scaffolded for them. Which is the same yeah, thing we say for executive function, it. right? But I think, you know, what's what's the goal we're after? What is something that we could really tangibly say this is what an example of learner voice would be at these levels? I think if we look at the elementary school, it's the right time for student-led conferences for sure. maybe some of the things like you're describing, not just with field trips, but maybe... Um, you know, with lunch menus or with, you know, participating in a student council experience. And we've had those forever, right? But that actually makes decisions about something and Mm -hmm. see that democratic design and their voice at play. Um, And I think that some people are dabbling in this idea of student-led conferencing. It's certainly the first... um, My son uh, led the conference with his dad the other week while Uh, I was out of town. Yes, yes, yes. In Marietta City Schools, student-led conference all the way through. Yep. And that's something at the elementary level that kids are still really excited about their learning. Mm -hmm. Not that they shouldn't be everywhere else, but we know that that decline happens in middle school where they just stop being excited about the process. We've got to do more to, to impact that. And I think voice is a way to do that. But at the elementary school, there's no reason why they can't self-report it's so great as a teacher to have your kids take ownership of that and to give them the authority to talk about where they're at what they're doing why they're doing it and how they're doing and what's their best work that's right what they're excited about Mm -hmm. Um, at the middle school I think there is this sort of gradual release away from student-led conferencing as the only way to do it and then moving into that co-planning so rather than just reporting on what has happened to be a participant in what could and should happen as part of the learning progression that's a great way to capture learner voice through that co-planning process. I think that also is evident or should be evident at the high school where they're going to co-plan within each content area, but also at the high school level, learner voice can show up in a lot of different ways like dual enrollment options, open classes, Mm -hmm. open blocks of time where students can self-navigate through what they might need to experience or to capture. Uh, We talk a lot about this big vision of the future where a school feels a little bit like a mall and even though those are a dying breed right where you have all the stores that you would want to go to the mall is we're going to move our high schools when we need extra high schools we're going to take over the mall space since that's that's all online they're all vacant anyway yeah (laughs) um but i think i just had visions of jeff spicoli and his his crew going to oh the mall. Oh my gosh, yes. Well, and I just think and every time I think of the mall too, to teacher expert right. room. I mean, and if I was the kid who got to choose wherever I could go, whenever I could go to meet the needs, I would have definitely 85% of the time taken good advantage of it. And then the other 15% of the time, because I hadn't been structured in how to operationalize my voice, have executive function skills, I would have been at wherever the Spencer's gift version of school would be. <laughs> Looking at inappropriate cards and finding glow in the dark stuff, you know, so I think we've got a long way to go before we can operationalize that vision. But if that's the future, then we need to start preparing kids now for how to authorize themselves in that. So let's talk about teachers fears in implementing student voice. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, Because I think that there are some legitimate concerns and fears that teachers have in turning 
some decisions over to students. I agree. And one of those is probably, um, can I get the curriculum covered in time? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I think as long as teachers continue to put the pressure on themselves as being the deliverer and the pace rabbit of the race of content acquisition, that fear will always be there. We have got to stop creating the mania whereby teachers are the only responsible parties to deliver all knowledge that needs to be received on the timetable prescribed, right? When we let go of that, then we understand that maybe there is room and space for kids to move within content at different ways and at different times. But when I'm trying to, again, check the box of I have spoken it to existence at least once in front of all of these kids in the same way and I can find it in my plan book and I can stand firm on the knowing that if no other thing was said, at least they know in 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? Whatever the the thing is, we've got to release that. Well, I agree. I agree. But in the meantime, how do we teachers within their realm of influence and their current experience, what are some micro ways they ways, not waves, they can um, start building this in? And and I was thinking about this, uh, you know, over the past two weeks as we were preparing for this. And I was thinking about that triangle that I've talked about, the intended, taught and tested curriculum, right? So the intended curriculum is your curriculum standards and your objectives, right? The things you hope that the students will acquire. Well, if we start with just the intended curriculum, you know, especially if we look at science and social studies curriculum, it doesn't necessarily have to go in any particular order. That's right. We can start by giving the children the list of units that we're going to have this year in those topics mm-hmm. and let them choose the order in which they gain those. I love okay? that. And sort of a hold harmless content area where we're not necessarily and that's, time bound to a specific, you know, right. So it's standard a simple way. He or she probably, as the teacher, already has all those instructional materials from the year before right. prepped and ready to go. So why not let the students choose the order that they get those? That, that would be one way to have student voice. I love that. Then if we look at another piece of the triangle, let's say we look at the, the taught curriculum. Okay. Okay. So you don't have to necessarily tell the students, have them choose the order, but maybe you're comfortable now with saying, listen, this is our objective. This is our critical question or our, our, our guiding question. How are we going to show that we know this information within a week? Like, what, what do you think we should do? What's your plan? Now, that's taking it another step, okay? But that is still controlling the, um, the, the topic at hand or the particular curriculum standards that are being addressed, but gives us safety within boundaries. Sure. And so those were my two ideas. I, of course, we could also apply that to the tested curriculum if it's not an area that's being tested by a standardized right. test. Right. But once again, that authentic assessment, if we ask students, you know, what can you produce sure. that shows that you have mastered this particular concept? Right. And here in the state of Georgia, we do have a bill proposed right now. Yes. Um, where we could potentially see this, you know, we've talked a lot about this platform nine and three quarters where people mm-hmm. run through the wall, but then they get some exceptionalities that right. come with that. Innovation and, where this, and testing. Right. Innovation right. and assessment and where people would come by their own accountability plan and, and maybe not be bound to whatever the state assessment is. So I'll be curious in following that. Um, I can't remember the number of the state bill, but I'm sure that if you Googled it, you would find it. Um, and that's running through right now at the state level. So. Yes. So, um, so would you say that that's a 
movement in the right direction. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, we've talked a little bit too internally about the idea of how do we make the assessment that we do have more ad- uh, adaptive and authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think first steps are taking the existing milestones, making it machine readable and allowing it to be adaptive so that everybody enters at the same point and goes as far as they can go. And we might do that multiple times, allow for students to authorize their voice to say, sure. hey, I'm ready to dive into this and see where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, more of a diagnostic and a continuum than a point in time at one point in the year. Right. So I think we're on our way there. That would certainly prepare us to at least um, measure students based on growth. Agreed. So where they fell on that continuum of beginning of the year versus where they fell on that continuum of learning at the end of the year. Right. And, and really it's about competency then and not proficiency, which mm-hmm. is a different um, metric. And I think I want to say that again, because I don't think teachers, I didn't at least in the classroom, recognize the difference between the two and spend time learning more about it. But the difference between growth and competency and a level of proficiency against, you know, mm-hmm. a, a metric that's a across the board. Standard a standard cr- at right. a certain date and time. That's right. Every seven-year-old on this right, day right. is going to know about this particular right. fact. Yes. And I think, too, it's just so interesting. You know, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but follow me for a second. I had come back from my time in Spain presenting at a conference to a very sick little one. My Mm -hmm. nine-year-old had strep, but we didn't know it. We ended up in the ER, and one of the first questions they asked was, was she full term? Okay. And at first, it was sort of weird that they would ask that question of a nine-year-old presenting with a high fever and vomiting. But then it sort of sat with me a little bit. And if it still matters so much nine years later... The weeks of gestation for my child and how that planned her medical path forward at that point in time. Why do we still not factor any of those other externals in when we say, oh, third grader doesn't matter any of that other stuff? You know what I mean? It just was one of those like aha moments that it matters so much just (laughs) how long she cooked, um, how they treat her at the ER. But it doesn't matter at all. Any of that. When we talk about learning, right, learning and this level of, quote, proficiency. So just interesting. But I think that um, I think that the other thing we need to talk about as far as like the the teachers and what they can kind of do, there's something that I would just call out all leaders to do right now. And that would be to give permission and encouragement, because without that from the people who are the level set against the teacher evaluation system, much of this will stop before it starts because they are, even if they feel like it's the right work to do, teachers are fearful of doing that work without permission and encouragement from the people who are. So how could a leader walk into a teacher's classroom and give her or him permission and encouragement to Mm -hmm. start incorporating student voice? Yeah, I think uh, uh, the greatest first step would be to say, um, let's do an experiment, right? Let's do a, I don't like the term pilot necessarily, but let's just get weird, right? Let me give you a four week period of time. And I would love to see what it would look like if you allowed X to be in the hands of your students. Maybe it's the way at which they demonstrate mastery. Maybe it's the order in which they access the content through whatever that unit is. Maybe it's whatever. And just give them a micro goal, but in the form of an encouragement and a praise, right? I think also just celebrating the try. That's it. Yes. Right. And not like the kids did wonderful stuff because they had all this, but just this teacher had a great amount of, (laughs) you know, um, she basically overcame a huge amount of fear. 
right? Mm-hmm. All teachers are fearful of doing something that their peers are not doing. It's just well, that competitive. Well, okay. <laughs> Most teachers are fearful of stepping out away from the pack and doing something that draws more attention to them sure. if they're unsure about how it's going to be viewed. So just acknowledging, hey, you were bold enough to take this step. Yep. You collected good information, whether it was successful or not. I think also um, a leader can reassure the teacher that, hey, even if this crashes and burns, right. I'm here for you. And I value your willingness to be an entrepreneur and try something different. So I, I would just like to say it is tough to get a word in with you two <laughs> in these discussions. Y'all are. Because we're so passionate. They, they, they are. They are. I wish y'all could see them. They are staring at each other. They're having a, <laughs> They are having this in-depth conversation. And little do they know, Andy is here as well. Andy. But that's all right. I'll butt in. You're the wind <laughs> beneath our wings. Don't I just wanted to remind it. everybody, you're listening to KSU to I Teach Live here on KSU Owl Radio with Andy, Stephanie, and Anissa. And we are taking a deep dive right now uh, at the personalized learning essential condition of learner voice. Well, and Andy, um, I will challenge you to interject because you've spoken a lot about this as it pertains to your own kids. I know, I do. It's And it's hard when it's your, when it's your own kids at, at hand and you've been asking their principals to listen. So that's... <laughs> So what, as a parent, if you knew that the teacher in your son's classroom was going to just get weird for a month, right? right? Yes. And it's possible that his standardized test score might be a little bit lower than it otherwise would be. Right. What, what, what's your response to that? So my response is that, um, that A, I'm all right with a lower standardized test uh, test score. That doesn't bother me. But B, I think what I say to teachers uh, often when I talk about learner voice and letting kids have have more say in what they're doing in the classroom is that I think you'll be amazed at what they can do. Mm -hmm. I think so many times we don't give our learners credit, just like just like people didn't give these Parkland students credit for what they could do. And, you know, there were uh, hundreds of thousands of people this weekend in Washington, D.C. And across the nation. Yeah, across mm-hmm. the nation participating in, in this, you know, in this student-led, um, you know, speaking out, if you will. Right, um, uh, yeah, I don't know if I want to use the word protest. Oh, okay. well, maybe whatever, whatever you want to call it, demonstration, whatever. But I, I think that's that's what I try to the the point that I try to emphasize to teachers the most is I I don't think we give our our students enough credit for a what they're interested in and b what they can do when they are interested in a topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's uh, that's what I talk to to my son's teachers about um, a lot is if we let them choose, I think you'll be amazed at what you're going to get. And it's, you know, I just had a, a very interesting email exchange with my sons, uh, with an eighth grade teacher. And he, my, my oldest son is, he's not a big, he's not big into reading. And at his school, they've separated reading and language arts so that every student has both reading and language arts. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just not his forte. You know, he's a 13 year old boy. He likes to play soccer. And he doesn't necessarily, he's not a great sitting still reader um and and i got an email back about oh my gosh your son gave these great in-depth written responses about a reading and you know he did it at home online when he's in class a lot of times he gives me these short one sentence short phrase kind of responses like i need you to encourage him to do more you know at the end of the year, especially on milestones and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, his mother and I talked to him and we said, yo, AB, what, what gives, what was the difference? And you know what the difference was? He enjoyed the reading. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, that's the difference when he, and, and, you know, I, I guess in full disclosure, he didn't choose this particular reading. This is not an example of voice, but it was something he enjoyed. And I think if we gave them the opportunity of course. to read what he wanted to read, I think he would give back in depth. And he, I mean, he asked uh, his mom to like put things away one day and asked her to read the story so that they could have a discussion about the story. And that to me, for a kid who's been struggling, you know, I have to stay on him about reading, you know, all it took was something that he enjoyed. Right. Right. He's engaged. And now all of a sudden he wants his mom to stop what she's doing so that they can have a conversation about this story that he really enjoyed. And he gave great feedback to the teacher. It wasn't um, Beowulf, was it? It was not Beowulf. Yeah. <laughs> it was not Beowulf. I don't it was. Uh, I don't know. You had to ask me what it was. I don't know. Plato's it was, allegory. But, it was Plato's but, allegory. Um, <laughs> but, but let's also balance this a little bit, because yeah. sometimes there's a book that your child will not read but would really benefit them okay that's right not everything in life as a learner or as an individual is based on just your choice and voice right right, right. so there's a little bit of balance there is in that. there is um my son when he was younger uh didn't necessarily want to read uh, a particular book about the Browns moving to Birmingham, and it was about, and I don't remember the exact title, does anybody remember the title? And it's about the church bombings mm -hmm. uh, in the 1960s during the- Was there a movie adaptation? Civil rights, yeah, I think there was. Okay, someone will tweet <laughs> us and tell us the name tweet of us out that the book. That. Um, it's a great book for a third grade, you know, reading level. Mm -hmm. And um, he didn't really want to read it, so I started reading it to him, and then he started reading it and didn't want to stop. Mm -hmm. And by the end, he had learned a lot about some other people's experiences, life experiences. Um, I won't say on public whether or not he, he cried about the book. No, but of it's course. Not, that would be very that would be socially so damning mom. to your son. <laughs> um, but uh, that these meaningful experiences also still need to happen that stretch yeah. them beyond their comfort zone. So so we've got to find some balance. It's not that everything is student voice. This is where the co-planning piece comes in, and it's important that you have this adult guide also helping the learner to make some other choices and to stretch themselves. That's so true. We've got some action here on Oh, Twitter my gosh. And, I was just about to say, let yeah. me stop. Mrs. Jackson. I'm sorry, Ms. Jackson. You are for real. For real. Let me get my, um, yeah. my dirty south going on here. This Mrs. Jackson's nice. listening. She says, don't worry. You've got listeners, and there are so many who need to be listening. And Student she remembers the name of the book. Is the pathway to innovation. Does she got the book? Watson's Go to Birmingham. That's, That's right. Watson's Go I thought it was the Brown family, but it was the Watson's To Birmingham. Family. Mrs. Jackson, I need you to send me a direct message, please, because I want to send you a shirt. So I am at I teach uh, ed tech to you. Uh, Miss Jackson is ours. Give me your info. Who is that? She's ours. Okay, she's Andy. ours. I teach. Come on. We're we're still trying to build our listeners. She still gets a shirt. It's not artificially. Right. No, um, but you know what? Here's the thing. I'll I want to make it happen. I want to just say this too. This is so great. This is happening right now because our team is so big, <laughs> and the reach is so wide. Um, I just think that it's so great that we've got this big pot of people who have taught at every grade level and can empathize with us, and so. Uh, this is a shameless humble brag and plug, but I teach represents all of these teachers at different levels who have taught traditionally and then made the cognitive switch to do something differently and authorize and implore people to to level their voice as learners. And so um, 
as you're seeing this action on Twitter, don't forget that these people are people who are out coaching and trying to encourage other teachers to do it. And that's the way to make it happen. Right. Right. Um, all right. So here's the last thing that we wanted to talk about um, as far as learner voice is is sort of concerned. And it's about how do we manage and assess. And we talked a little bit about the um, you know, the connection between assessment and mastery dispositions as it relates to learner voice. Because if we can't qualify what kids are doing um, based on what they want to do or what they've voiced they want to do or their path forward, if we can't qualify that as learning, Mm -hmm. you know, to that point, then we're sort of at at an impasse. Um, So again, I think we just need to stop assessing information against a prescribed checklist of regurgitated facts as the first thing. but then we also need to assess against or against a rigorous expectation of content mastery rather than what it looks like in the format. Uh, a lot of people say learner voice is just about product. And I think that's a good, safe place to start, right? Instead of everybody turning in the same trifold poster board, give kids the opportunity. That My own child is one who's working, you know, third, right now third graders are learning about habitats in the regions of Georgia. And so she created this diorama. And, you know, with me as a mom, of course, I said to her, hey, let's make a virtual field trip instead of this diorama or let's do a a thing link or we're going to link out. But she was like, Ma, just can I have some styrofoam and some paint? So for her, (laughs) you know, her voice was, I want to do this the way I want to do this. And that's the traditional air quotes way of, you know, puffy paint and glitter glue and a clay alligator cruising down the swamp of the Okefenokee. So, um, I think that we need to just start from an easy place where assessment can look differently based on what the the students themselves voice they want to subscribe to. Wouldn't it be beautiful if uh, one day the student portfolio and list of uh, skills, Mm -hmm. this uh, maybe it would be on a blockchain technology or something of that sort, where that means more than the transcript itself that just has a course name and a grade level and a test score to go with it. You know, if if colleges and employers can log into a student portfolio and see a list of the skills that they've been able to demonstrate in their school. So if that's to start a national march on a Saturday about student concerns about a particular topic, then why shouldn't they get credit for that particular skill set and have evidence, be able to link to evidence of that? And then as a as a professor, if I'm looking at admitting a student, it means so much more to me to be able to dive in there and see really what the student is doing yep. and the artifacts of what they've been and showing. I think for people who are fearful of the pendulum swinging all the way that direction, mm-hmm. I think right now it's a yes and. Mm-hmm. It's not a but, <laughs> right? So it's not that we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater and get rid of the traditional transcript of qualified learning right now. But what we need to do is say yes and I can and qualify that this other experience that you have is also supportive of this set of standards that we've got, right? So yeah, over I, I think time, it's super interesting that we're talking about this. I'm, I happen to be married to a high school counselor, mm-hmm. and so many colleges will they look at the transcript, but what the counselors are stressing to students today to differentiate themselves is all the extra. Right. What are you passionate about? Where are you spending your time, and 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 what are you doing in your spare time? And That's those right. are the differentiating factors. For 
for a lot of kids to get into schools these days. Not not just Students your GPA who yeah. are using their voice. Absolutely. But right. what, what are you doing in your spare time? And, and, you know, are you building rockets that are shooting videos up That's into right. space and filming them down? And, and yeah. And truthfully, you know, if we're thinking 10, 15, 20 years down the line, when we're all rocking a standards mastery framework and it's about have you mastered or not mastered content, GPAs and class rank look a lot differently when it's mastery versus non-mastery. Well, everyone has an A. That's right. And so what sets you apart are these things that you leverage your voice to do, that you make choices about opportunities that you have. So I don't want people to lose sight of the fact yeah. that... And your portfolio of work. Yes, that's right? it. That's what's How important. far you went in an area of interest. And a deep dive that you took. Absolutely. Yes, that's it. So I think that that's the future of what a competitive scholar looks like at the higher education level. Um, well, a student has, who yeah. really decided to study those rockets you know, right. and build those rockets, they they may meet mastery that looks very similar to other classmates in terms of reading and language arts, but they went really deep into rocketry and, and mathematics and physics. Well, they would be competitive in a school that addresses rocketry right. and mathematics, right. but they would not be so competitive in a school that focuses on writing and literature. Right, right. right? Yeah. So, and I, I use that example because my wife showed that video to a student who was wanting to apply to Georgia Tech. And these were high school seniors mm -hmm. who made this video and they too applying to Georgia Tech. And so she said, here's here's your competition. What are you doing to, to stand out to Georgia Tech? Because you, you got the grades. Big, OK, you got the grades. If you're thinking about tech, I'm going to assume you got the grades. What else are you doing? Tech wants to know what else are you doing? What are you doing in your spare time? What are you passionate about? What are you building, you know, on your own? Yes. And that's, you know, yes. if you're not out there making and building and doing and, you know, voicing, you know, you, you, you might get looked over by some kids maybe whose grades maybe aren't quite as good. Well, and right now the traditional system does not support necessarily um, building student voice and, right. and their, their confidence in that. And I think, too, confidence in voice comes from acceptance and that's a dangerous game too for kids you know there is a lot of social norming that has taken place to make kids feel like if their opinion differs from somebody else's that they should just keep it to themselves but that said i think that that's historically a greater problem than what we're moving towards i, I agree with you yeah um i think that society in general we see that we are more accepting of our uniqueness and the intersectionality of our identities um, and just by us being able to say uh, describe ourselves in a variety of ways and not just using the word normal right um, that being unique mm -hmm. is the new normal right I agree yeah I think we burned that word normal in the last episode <laughs> right. didn't we it well, certainly doesn't apply to me but did, did we talk about this on the show about the airplane pilot seat I think we yes. did in uh, the new normal. Was it? Is it I the think book? we did. Well, no, it's What's the, the end of average. The end of average, not the new yes. normal. Yes. Average. Right? That yeah, nobody yeah, yeah. is average. There is no a myth is of average, average. Right. right? That that that's a fake thing that we've made up to try to help ourselves in the process to create things that fit multiple solutions. But that's just not it. That's not what we're after. And student voice plays into that. Sure. That if students let go of this belief that normal is a thing. Mm -hmm. 
is a real at- obtainable thing, then their unique voices are more, um, I think it's easier for them to accept their own uniqueness as well as each other's. Oh my gosh. And, and how, how, how does this tie into social emotional learning and how, mm. you know, our need um, for that right now in schools Absolutely. and acceptance and um, to feel heard. Absolutely. To feel seen. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. We could keep going, but we're going to have tissue. to transition. I know. Yeah. Andy, yeah. are you We're okay? getting ready here. Uh, we've got the big guy in a bow tie. He is live in the studio. So I'm going to play a commercial real quick. Um, we're going to get David in the chair, get him ready to go. And, um, and then we're going to get started with a new segment that we're calling Gadget Time with the big guy in the bow tie. So you're listening to... I teach live on KSUL radio with Andy, Stephanie, and Anissa, and we will be right back. Have you ever tried to get a group of students to read for an hour straight, even 10 minutes straight? Just sit there and read? It's almost impossible. Now you can. That's what Read Ahead does. Let students share and compare how they read with each other instead of taking multiple choice tests. You can be a part of our next big breakthrough. Help us understand how reading analytics and machine learning with our Smart Skimmer can transform reading assessment and professional development, or how open models for reading instruction and assessment can transform education. Learn more on the web at readahead.education. To bring it as a surprise. Yeah. All right. Welcome back, everybody. So I'm really excited about this segment because um, this is where all of our friends can let their nerd flag fly a little bit. Um, All of us who work in the field of instructional technology, specifically those of us who focus on personalized learning, sometimes we feel like we have to separate ourselves from the gadget and the tool and the thing because we say all the time it's not about that. But it is kind of about that because technology can be a great support and driver for what's possible. You know, we talked about SAMR earlier. Absolutely. We can't get to redefinition without some of the technology tools that are out there to create new opportunities. That's exactly right. And we have our own in-house resident tech expert, uh, big guy in a bow tie, David Lockhart, who's one of our folks here at iTeach. So, hey, David, how are you? Hello. Yay. Everybody here, is his mic on? His mic is on. I believe so. All right. Yes. All right, so my, Come my, on. my mic's actually on. They're not scared to have my mic. No, on. your mic's good. on. But just remember, we're live. This is a live show. You gotta I keep it. Yeah, this is this is the segment off. that Steph's gonna um, sweating the most. Right. <laughs> I know. We I know. we try to keep it mostly professional. Here. Right. Mostly professional. Right. So, David, you've got some uh, some good stuff to share with us today. So we're just gonna turn it over to you and let you share for gadget time. All right. So gadget time today is actually something that I saw a couple of years ago I did well I heard of it a couple years ago I haven't really dived into it um, till recently and um, I had somebody who reached out to me and said I want to send you a kit I want to send you a kit of this and you see what you think and kind of go from there and I've gotten to a point where I really like it and what it is called is called Hyperduino and Hyperduino is a kit that this guy named Roger Wagner went and took an Arduino board, which is a circuit board that you can build a computer and code and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And he simplified it for students. And he simplified it a little bit where students can go and make interactive projects with it. 
very simply is a little board that you get it's about a the kit overall is about a hundred bucks and that you can go and you can connect leds to it you can connect little buttons to it where every time you hit a button you the led kicks on so there's lots and lots of things that you could do with that like one of the things that he advocates for is the kind of old poster boards or dioramas or those types of things that were just talked about of adding that led and interactivity to it um i think you could build creatures out of like just craft supplies and robots out of craft supplies and add that kind of thing to it um but it also allows you to add buttons where you can kick on youtube videos on a computer you can go and add sensors to it there's a lot of things that you can do with it and one of the reasons i like it a lot is because to me one of the things when you look at maker tools is how high is the ceiling and i think the ceiling with this is pretty high um because you can do so much with it and it but it's also the learning kind of figuring out how to do it is not super high so you see elementary school kids do it and so there's a lot that it's open and accessible to a lot of folks that's awesome and i think too did you mention price point on this i did it's the kit is a a little under a hundred dollars right um, so maybe more than what i would want an individual teacher to spend but certainly if you had a pta grant or something like that um it's it's within range for people to grab a hold of and something that you can use across multiple students and absolutely and it's and it's built off something that can lead into other things because it's built it's basically a shield that goes on top of our art of an Arduino board. So you're leading into Arduino and leading into kind of that higher level stuff. Yep. And I want to just reiterate too, here in the state of Georgia, we now next year have computer science standards across every grade level. Um, So K-12 will have those CS standards and this would be a really great tool to help try to get kids started on implementation of some of the computer science standards that we're going to see. And I would love to come out and help people with computer science stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, this would look great in a a media center, an innovation lab. um, Makerspace. A makerspace, whatever you've got. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking at the website here. It's it's pretty cool. They've got this... um, uh, old school looks like a volcano that a student built um, like the diorama yeah. right Juju if you're listening and then they've got all kinds of lights and LEDs and, and things built into this so it's really this combination right. of old school uh, traditional hands on let me make it and then I'm gonna intertwine and wrap in it some new right. um, I mean think about the standards skills. for electrical circuits and for all kinds of coding and you know that's where you start to see the collapse of multiple standards and i think the key here is that it's that kind of teaching level and learning level it looks like it's really hard but it's not because it's basically just connecting things and following just a short tutorial and that teachers can do it young kids can do it there's a lot that you can do with it so david let me ask you what what are some of the tools or some of the um things that uh that a hyperduino or an arduino board will work with so if i have a a a child, a student who wants to program or code um, with one of these boards. What are what are some of the tools or some of the that's resources actually, they can use? That's actually a good thing that I missed is the Hyperduino kit, the way that it works right now, although as Google redoes Chrome apps, we'll have to see where that goes after that. Yeah. But the way it works right now is it's actually a Chrome app, which means it's pretty device agnostic. You're not going to go to, I mean, it's not going to go and work with some mobile devices, but Macs, Chromebooks, especially with the Chromebooks, that's 
that's a good thing. And Windows laptops, it works with all of those. Yeah, it is sometimes sort of hard when we've got a lot of schools that have, have gone with a Chromebook, right? But they're not the most robust device. And so when you think about other coding um, situations, this might be a really nice solution for that, right? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how and it's you're starting to see some of the companies adjust to the Chromebook. Sure. Um, and it's it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But yeah, it's a solution that even with old beat up Windows computers that you don't know what else you can use. You can play if you can download Chrome to it. You can plug this sucker in and go. Yeah. Um, all right, David. So uh, here's a great opportunity for people to come out and talk to you and maybe uh, see a little bit more about the Hyperduino and other stuff that we do. David. We might actually be giving one away at this just Ooh. as a. <laughs> OK, so you guys may have heard me talk a little bit, tease a little bit about the Maker Bus launch. So I teach is launching a mobile maker space uh 33 foot bus we've got everything from puffy paint to green screen to laser cutter on board right so this is going to be a solution that goes out to schools and districts anywhere that the bus can drive and we are going to be doing a launch unveiling here on ksu kennesaw state university's campus on april 25th it's a wednesday from 11 to 1 and all are welcome open to the public just cruise on in Park yourself, walk over. You're going to see the bus. It's going to be parked in between the Convocation Center and Kennesaw Hall. And we've got some really great giveaways for folks who show up. The Hyperduino board is going to be, or the kit is going to be maybe one of those things. Um, yes. And we've also got some stuff from other folks that we're going to hold a little tight to chest because they're really exciting things and we don't want to have a mob scene on our hands. So um, if you have nothing going on on or Wednesday even if you the do, 25th, cancel it. Clear your calendar. Right. <laughs> Come on <laughs> tell out. Them, tell them he said right i'll write you a note and excuse your absence um but yeah i think the maker bus launch is going to be a great opportunity a lot of our coaches are going to have booths set up where they're going to talk a little bit about some of the maker activities and again makers not synonymous with high tech right we've got no tech low tech high tech options for what making can look like and it's not synonymous with stem or steam either it's Absolutely. all content areas so Absolutely. come on out check it out um and david before we let you off the hook i am really curious if you would give us maybe i saw you just posted a blog post about this also apple has a big announcement coming uh. this week um they've uh sort of been hinting and teasing that they've got some stuff going on in the edu forum so any right. thoughts about what apple might be unveiling this so week? i think when you look at what apple's gonna unveil apple as a whole is getting their clock cleaned by Google and Chromebook right now. And sure. so you look at it and you say, okay, what will they do? I think it's going to be, number one, you're going to see new iPads at the event. I think it's pretty much a guarantee. Mm -hmm. a, a year or so ago, they re released a lower cost version, which would be decent for schools. But if you've ever been with kids and iPads, one of the biggest issues is with a keyboard. So when sure. they release the low cost version, everybody who's in EDU is going, uh, where's the keyboard connector from that's on the pros? Because that's like an easy low-hanging fruit to do. Mm -hmm. So I think you'll at least see iPads with the keyboards. I think it's an open question what they do uh, with the stylus right now and the Apple Pencil. Um, I think that you'll see, you may see something, you may not, um, because the, the invitation actually hints at that, but obviously when you go with a pencil and kids, the worry about them losing it oh, is a yeah. big thing. Tons of financial but, Tiny uh, little are, charger adapter. Well, right? But <laughs> they're also looking at Chromebooks that are the new EDU Chrome books that all come with styluses right. so yeah. and who I think, knows I, I think we're going to see stylus support but they've got to also in my opinion they got to show a cheaper pencil because well, the, the pencil is 100 bucks that, and that's yeah. not 
uh, it's just not feasible. It's, it's and it's not. got little like the cap on the end that is right. a pain to deal with. And so if they do, it's going to be a simpler version. You know what? I see an untapped resource here. Crokies. If you guys hear me right now, you know, the people that all the fratastics wear with their sunglasses to hold them on the back <laughs> of their necks. You know what I'm talking about? The little like lanyard looking thing that's not a lanyard and it's cooler than that. Crokies needs to come up with like a Apple stylus pencil holder. Cooler than a lanyard for your You're sunglasses? Wear your Apple pencil around Don't judge neck. it, Annie. For people like me who have to wear <laughs> sunglasses. that are made out Hold of on. the same Hold stuff. On. Like beer koozies. Yes, like the foamy stuff. When you're done, do you take it off and put it in your fanny pack? You know what? It's an adventure sack. <laughs> Don't judge. Fanny packs are back in. <laughs> no, they're not. They've been not. walking the runways. No. It's more of that a panis pouch, though. Like, it doesn't really go on your fanny. It's more of like a panis pouch on the front of you. <laughs> Julie Warner. Julie, my friend Julie Warner is up in D.C., and she was down in Savannah with some friends this weekend. I saw her on Instagram. She posted a picture and she said uh, in the picture, what you don't see are matching fanny packs. Oh, this girl's BFF weekend. packs. And, yeah. Well, I said if it, there's no picture, it didn't happen. Right. So, uh, <laughs> I don't believe it. So well, Julie, we just need to give kids a fanny pack to carry around all their uh, ancillary equipment for their devices these days. Telling you. So anything that you think might be coming as far as like an EDU programmatic support? So I think as far as kind of software programmatic, my guess is you see a iPad version of the iBooks author. Mm -hmm. I think that's a low hanging fruit for them to do. Sure. um, Where kids can go and actually build their own books and publish their own books to the iBooks store. I think you'll see something around iTunes U. I don't know what it is because they look at Classroom and they say, okay, Classroom's simple. And that's one of the reasons schools are adopting Google right. stuff and you may see something there and then their big push a lot is also into coding and so I don't know where they go past the Swift coding app I can't <laughs> but I think you definitely will see, see something there something around Swift coding and I don't know what it looks like yeah. um, maybe to a point that if they could simplify the app process where kids could actually build their own apps a little bit better yeah and or do that in the app that could be interesting but I think that that's kind of where they'll go yeah I think they still are going to lag behind until they can go to schools with an email server that's equal to Microsoft and Google, because yeah. a lot of times that's what's, that's where that starts. That integration, yeah. That integration and the reason that schools adapt Microsoft or Google or both is starts with email because sure. they need an email system. And then I think they need a really big update of iWork, but I don't know that you'll see that either. And oh my gosh, the work that it takes to actually use... Apple's classroom product, the back end. And that's and that's such a nightmare. That's another one too, is but I don't know. I think you may see some updated features, sure. but I don't know that you'll see something it's gonna get a bigger hairstyle <laughs> where it could be like at the district level right. that managing iPads, which is always the issue with them. So here's the the last thing I wanna kinda pick your gadget brain about, David. Uh, those of you who have heard Toys R Us is in bankruptcy. It is now court owned, not privately held or publicly held, and Uh, they are liquidating all of their stores across the U.S. And so I went the other day with the specific intention of restocking some of the things that we use in our maker space and with our maker camp. Anything that you can think of um, that's a must look for, for maybe some gadget 
parents or gadget teachers that are out there, what's something they might be able to find on discount before there's a melee on the entire store? Right. You know? right. So when you look at those gadgets, there may be a melee already for some of those. Right. I mean, things like Osmos, I think, are great for younger kids. Yeah. I think that there's all sorts of robotics and stuff they have there. But I, to me, those are going to be the things that are discounted last and are sure. and are maybe go first. I think if you're really looking for STEM and Maker and that type of thing, there's all kinds of good creation and Maker, like little kits that yeah. kids can do. Like the Meccano kits I saw while I was over there the other day. Even and Legos. Oh, yeah. Even Legos. Kids love Legos. And this is, you know, I, I read where this is going to be a huge hurt on, on Lego because oh, I, I think that this is where they sell the majority of their product is through Toys R Us. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 you know, if I was out there and I, I may make a run by the store. I um, think I'm going to run by the store after today. Yeah, right. I, now, I, everyone I would be making a run on those <laughs> giant Lego kits. Yeah, but you know, when I was, went last week on Friday when the sale, the liquidation sale started, most of everything was only 5 to 10% off at that point. And so truthfully, if you stack the prices of Toys R Us against an Amazon or a Walmart, you were still not getting maybe the best deals out there on most. And so I think where you might find a really good deal is those kind of STEM kits that are, they are usually are back near the books that a lot of parents don't yep. really know what they are. And because those are going to be the things that don't, the brand names like Lego and that stuff's going to be the stuff that goes first. Um, Those may be the stuff that's there as the liquidation gets further and further down. Well, that's great information. And, um, so hit us up, I teach live, hashtag I teach live. If gadget time was something that you want to hear more about, it's certainly something that we can, um, you know, continue to do. I think it's important to just uh, satiate the appetite of people who are in the instructional tech world and want a little bit more of that as we talk about some of the pedagogically heavy stuff that we've talked about. Absolutely. On the show as well. that's, Absolutely. That, that's good. I, they, I didn't wear out my welcome already. No. no. And you didn't mess up and cuss on the radio, so we'll have you back. <laughs> um, all right, guys. So we are wrapping down the show here today. I want to just reiterate our word of the day, and if you can use it, you should use it. Um, bum fuzzle. Anybody who works with kids or does anything <laughs> really in education knows that being confused, perplexed or flustered or causing confusion in a situation is something that happens almost hour by hour, minute by minute. So, um, just shout us out. Hashtag I teach live. What was the bum fuzzle that happened in your world today? Um, and we'll continue to, to use that word throughout the day. Also to reiterate, uh, the essential conditions, the white paper are available at iteach.kennesaw.edu right on the main page, as is uh, more information about maker camps that are available through iteach this summer on yeah, campus. I just published those dates uh, last week. Last week mm-hmm. I, I think I did that. Yep. So and we're registration to our doctorate program. Yep. The application applying. deadline is coming up here in the first week of April, I believe. Yes, and all of us will be white knuckling it together as I have decided to throw my hat in the ring for the EDD program here. So um, yeah, get your applications on. in. I'm not going to say that I want you to win more than I want me to win because it's a competitive process, but I'll cheer you on quietly in the background. Um, And we just so appreciate the time that you all spent with us this morning. Give us some feedback. What are the topics you want to hear more about? Have you read an awesome book that we need to ping the author to come on in and do uh, another conversation like we had with Anthony, which... 
shout out to Anthony Kim for being our safe enough to try yeah, uh, first calling guest. I think uh, all told, we did a pretty good job with it today, yeah. guys. Absolutely, or if you are yeah. an author who wants to come talk yeah, to us. Yeah, definitely. yeah, definitely. Or if you're a if you're a school leader and you're doing some innovative things in your building we or in your district, we, we want to talk to you. If yeah. you're a teacher that's doing some really cool things, hey, we want to talk to you. Give me a call. Come out. We'll, we'll make a video. We'll see what's happening. Um, yes. You know, we, we want to share uh, what you're doing, the success stories, the trials, the tribulations. Um, yes. You know, to move personalized learning forward here and in Atlanta and Georgia and the Southeast and the nation and the world. So let me uh, let me end with this. Here's a little bit of a locker room pep talk for the rest of your day. We are. Yes. Get your tissues out, Andy. Listen, we are here because you are here and we are all here supporting the good work that's happening in classrooms all over the nation, all over the world every day. Our topic for today was learner voice. So I would just challenge everybody who's listening that has learners that are in their scope of influence, give them the opportunity to use their voice today, not just academically, but just in a way that validates that they are uh, an equal part of the democracy of learning in our schools and in our districts. Um, and if you need support, you are learners as well. All of us are in education, continually, lifelong. We are here to support you. So we want to give you a voice. Use that voice. Hit us up on Twitter and keep fighting the good fight every day. We're doing amazing things. We're seeing amazing things. And we're really proud to be a part of everybody's story who tunes into the radio show. Awesome. Thanks, Stephanie. So real quick, guys, uh, our next show was going to be on Monday, April 23rd. That's uh, the fourth Monday of April. Have we decided if that's the last one for the semester or if we're going to go through the summer? Or we, we haven't decided. We that. haven't decided. We have TBD. Decided Shout yet. out and let us know if you yeah. guys are going to listen. But poolside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, we want to keep it going. So let us know if we need to keep going or if we need to take a uh, siesta. Um, for the summer. So yep. let us know. Yeah. And the topics for that April 23rd show, we're going to talk a little bit more about Maker Ed. Absolutely. And um, I think we're going to have our very own Lee Martin. Yeah. Medi 911 in the building. <laughs> she is heading up our Maker Bus pro project here uh, at iTeach. So we're going to have Lee in here to talk about the bus, about Maker Ed, about the launch that'll be happening uh, right after that on April 25th. That's right. And we're also um, going to highlight the essential condition, authentic and adaptive assessment. Yeah, um, which I think is pretty season. yeah important this time of year. So that's what we're gonna yeah. talk about on the 23rd of April. Mark your calendars and join us again. It's the season, guys. So join us uh, on April 23rd for the next show. To all the listeners, thank you so very much for your time and your energy. Thanks for participating today uh, on the Twitter stream, on the hashtag I Teach Live. If you participated, if you didn't, that's okay. I know you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> um, just go ahead and hit that tweet button next time. Um, and guys, that's all we got for today. So until the next show, cheers. iTeach Live is produced by the instructional technology coaches from iTeach at Kennesaw State University with the cooperation of the Instructional Technology Department, the Bagwell College of Education, and KSU Owl Radio. You can reach out to them for more information, questions, or comments at their website, iteach.kennesaw.edu or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at KSU iTeach. <laughs>